This is Josh with the tearaway face. And this is <laughs> Mikey. Hey, here's my number. And this is crazy. Why don't you call me Wibley? <laughs> and his his last name is Possible. It's okay. It's okay. It was we a long still got day. this. We this is day. still on the rails. Fail, it's still man. on the rails. Fail. Hi, I'm I'm up. Brian the Who when you say who's there, Watson Jones. And we have a special guest. Yay! Hello, I'm Tess, the other podcaster for this evening. And this is Double Bill. Double Bill, Double Bill, comparing culture, it's Double Bill, putting two things together, it's Double Bill, it's Double Bill. Goes together like chocolate and peanut butter, like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, like a hamburger and a bun, like baby ducks and staple guns, record scratch! Double bill, double bill, comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill, it's double bill. This is Double Bill, and today we are doing Tess's pick, which is The Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. Why did you pick these two things, Tess? Well, uh, they are both Henry Selleck directed both of them, although I didn't actually realize that at the time. (laughs) So... I absolutely love Coraline. It's one of my favorite movies in the world. And I absolutely hate The Nightmare Before Christmas. And that's just wrong, apparently. And I've been just chastised. So did you did you pick it in the first place because you wanted to throw something very obviously under the bus? No, I picked it in the first place because I hadn't watched it in a very long time. And I thought, maybe I should give this another chance. Also, it just popped up on Netflix. <laughs> Yeah, I think it got introduced. That's like Sarah Heller's explanation about Blue Velvet. Oh, I hate Lynch, but every year or a couple years, I watch Blue Velvet for the fifth or sixth time just to see if I still hate Lynch. (laughs) If if I really, really wanted to go with something that I absolutely hate, I would have thrown Kubrick under the bus. Kubrick. Uh, Wow. Okay. Sure. (laughs) Like, and that's a blanket Kubrick statement. Like, every Kubrick you're like... I have never enjoyed a Kubrick. There are several that I outright hate. Okay. Okay. And that includes Full Metal Jacket? I've actually never seen Full Metal Jacket. All right. Hmm. All right. Uh, Absolutely so, hate would be Clockwork. That's a that's a challenging piece. I give it that much. And I remember being incredibly bored as a kid when it would pop up on cable. And I'm also curious not only about like throwing it. Well, it would. It would come up on cable. How do you do that movie on cable? It's like a quarter of the length. Oh. <laughs> Uh, there was a lot that was got away with Depends back in the 80s. It's a station that's cutting the sex or the violence. Yeah, so the problem is, <laughs> the problem is, this is an interesting thing. Like, USA used to, like, show uh, horror movies all the time. Like, uh, USA's groovy oh, yeah. movies. Uh, they used to the do the kung, yeah, the kung Fu movies. The violence was remarkably intact. Popped out eyeballs, eviscerations, but as soon as the nipple made an appearance, it was... So I choose two, chose two children's movies. Two children's We're talking about nipples, naturally. Yep. So, um, I don't think there's nips in either of these films. Well, I think... They did sculpt them. It was very strange. But yeah. they wanted to be authentic. I think yeah. Sally had implied nipplage, but it was all stitching. Um, and there was buttons on the other mother. So, okay, my other question is... My other, my other thought is, and I'm curious because... Uh, we're talking about these two movies, and I also like have a tendency, personally, to rate movies about times of my life, like where I am, you know? And so, as an example, so Nightmare Before Christmas came out in 1993. That's right. That was the year that I graduated high school. There was a lot of, like, really... I was all right. nine. I know. I was ten. So, I was, I was also... Twelve. The, <laughs> 
We were all younger than Mike. Uh, this yeah. is all brought to you and by Applesauce and Depends. So anyway, so when it came out, like there's like a lot of great movies that came out in 1993, and including like Aladdin came out, Groundhog Day came out, uh, Jurassic Park came out, and God, was uh, that Jurassic Park? I was Park? not allowed to see yeah. that. <laughs> and and lastly, on the flip side of Mr. Spielberg, Schindler's List. And so Which that I did see in the theater. And so like that was like where Disney was like doing the whole like resurgence of like animation mm-hmm. and then this was like a stop motion one which people were like hands on their hips like well they haven't done a stop motion since well gosh Well and it's touched on like a uh, Disney company I feel mm-hmm. like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 definitely owned by Disney now cuz yeah. so it's, it's a kingdom's heart um so. but I remember uh, we did a we did a field trip as seniors in high school and as part of it uh, we actually visited a part, and they had a part of the set out just as for like people to walk by. And like, I remember before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they had all like some of the stop motion. They're like, this is like an example of. And my nerdy little kid self loved seeing that. Like, oh my god, this is like the 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 stop motion thing that they had going. So I loved it. I, I remember some of the music not well enough, like a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Like you can walk away singing from Aladdin, Little Mermaid, any of those. You're like, oh, I know those songs in the back of my head somewhere. But this one I knew well enough to know that it left me with a big feeling, an impression. Like this is like a really nice thing to like balance out. Coraline, on the flip side, to drop it down an inch, Coraline came out on the same time my father passed away. So when I watched that movie... I already had a bit of pathos like dropped into my guts as it was. And so watching it, I had like the heavy like the heavy cone like dropped over my shoulders and so I'm like, oh and I had like a very precious little recollection. I liked it, but I liked it and I didn't like a lot of the other kind of movies that felt the same way. Uh, that were also kinda of like game and y kind of ones like like uh, yeah. Tideland or, you know, just like just really creepy like this is going to have a dark tone throughout the whole thing yeah. and um well children's stories with a, a darkness and a danger like yeah a real legit danger to yeah there was no he, light he does that better than anyone else who's writing right now right and there wasn't a lot of light stuff there so um anyway <laughs> so my point is um i'm curious about like when i'm a little kid you think about things like when i'm when i was a little kid i think about things like movies and and tess and i before we started the podcast Mentioned we were looking at Henry Selleck, uh, the mm-hmm. director yes. of both these movies, right? And that's I asked right, her, folks, Tim Burton did not direct Nightmare Before Christmas, and that's and that's a big important thing because you know you've got all the elements there, like you've got this really gothic kind of like entertaining like story. You've got Danny Elfman clearly doing yes. the oh, singing, yeah. the voice. Uh, Chris yeah. Sarandon, of course, the Six Finger Man, mm-hmm. doing the voice, speaking voice of Jack Skellington. Chris Sarandon wasn't the Six Fingered Man. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was Hubbardick. 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 Yeah, sorry. Uh, thank you. And the Six Fingered Man was Christopher Guest. Christopher I thought Guest. we were referring back Sir to Doom Two again for some reason. Really? <laughs> I think he. Oh. He's from a noble we've come, family. We've come, we've come full first, circle. Full circle. So, um, but my my point is that when when we were looking up Henry Selick's information before we started the podcast. Uh, Blown te- away. Yeah, he's Tessner, done everything. He's oh, yeah. had his fingers in a lot of stuff, oh, yeah. but more importantly, a lot of stuff that we were talking about uh, has I to do with so the sure dark you were stuff. Say, more importantly, a lot of stuff um, he's had his fingers in him, and I was going to be very no. Anyway. But like, yeah, Return to Oz. Oh. There's a movie that I think will have oh, an effect yeah. on a lot of people. Mm. Um, that was one of the two yeah. most terrifying movies that I ever saw as a child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, the other one was uh, not something wicked this way comes. Yeah, it is something that wicked this way comes. Something oh, wicked this way comes. He did like a lot of art, and he yeah. did a lot of like uh, design, did the storyboarding for these movies. So 
the guy, and also he looks a bit on the frightening side. Like, he's not a normal looking guy. He does kind of look like he's a stop motion character. Well, yeah, after about five years of crouching over stop motion stuff, changing it frame by frame, yeah. You... And maybe it's just the weird picture I was you. looking at, but like his his nose looked like it was a piece of clay on a face. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's done too much, though, in the recent years, though. Well, he did stop James motion and the Giant. Takes a long time. He so. did James and the Giant. When you commit to a feature-length stop well, motion, that's all you're going to do. There's not a lot of people, though, besides the producers of Leica now, or of Coraline now, that are doing stop-motion work. What? Robot Chicken. Robot Chicken. Yeah, but... But they're not producing features. Oh, I meant right. to look up the origin of Leica, because I was like, like, the camera Leica? It's the same company? No, it's it's based off of the dog that was sent into space. Yeah, the oh, first, right, first right, dog right. in space. Yeah, that's what it's based off of. Does everybody know the story of Nightmare Before Christmas, or yeah, do you we, think we need to explain Shall it? we just settle into... Yeah. Sorry. Watcher in the Woods. Oh, That my. was one. Again, he did the frightening, scary movies, so... <laughs> uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Please, go ahead. Well, I don't need to. I don't... What, what I were you just saying? I don't think we need to explain it. <laughs> I did, to be fair, I did not know it until we were sitting down and watching it, and I was being snarky and spitballing, and you were telling me the origin stuff. Well, it's, 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 it's based off of a poem by Tim Burton. You can go mm-hmm. online, and Tim... Uh, not Tim Burton himself, <laughs> but uh, Christopher Lee like does the whole poem. You can like The narration? The narration of the poem. Oh, neat. Yes, I want to oh, It's really cool. Dig that up. And really, yeah. I think it follows mainly, besides a couple of, like, different different like characters like Sally isn't in the poem at mm-hmm. all Sally's mm-hmm. sort of an invention it seems for the movie but it follows like the beats of everything where mm-hmm. you know Jack is feeling like lonely and like there's something empty inside of him he needs to kind of like find this other thing and then he discovers Christmas Town he steals Christmas basically from them and sort mm-hmm. of appropriates it and then sort of takes over Santa Claus's role and then sort of the ramifications of that that spins out in the movie it's all there Sally though is I think kind of added for the movie. And the Dr. Finkelstein stuff, too, is added. Well, and Sally was the character... I was jumping into talking about this yeah, at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Sally was the character what threw me the most because she was clearly the most competent character. <laughs> but she also had no backbone, which I guess he forgot to give her. Well, I don't know. She physically well, yeah. does not. She physically yeah, she's full of filled with stuffing. Yes. Yeah, like, thank you very much. But, like, she, she, she's smart. She knows what's happening. She mm-hmm. apparently has visions, but she never says anything above more than this little tiny whisper voice behind things and when people aren't looking. And Mm -hmm. she randomly, for some reason, is in love with Jack, even though it's never explained why. They all love Jack. Power's attractive. They all love Jack. Okay, Jack is a bad guy. No, he's not. Jack is totally a bad yeah, guy. Yeah, but he's in a bad town. I so understand where you're coming from, guys. but I don't think he's a bad guy. No. Like the song says at the beginning, we're, we're, we're scary but not mean. I, Jack isn't a mean guy. I under, He does bad things bad throughout things. this movie. Oogie is the villain of the film. Think about, oh, I'm sorry, Monsters, Actually, Inc. Let's, I've not seen Monsters, Inc. That's uh, Grave Sin. Uh, but, <laughs> wow. <laughs> a grave Sin. Grave oh, goodness. Uh, but so we were talking about this, like, I read an article, like, about a month and a half ago or so around Christmas time by, uh, I think her name is Katie Schenkel. It's over at the Mary Sue dot com and it's all about that 
uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas is actually about cultural appropriation, and that's what Jack is doing. Oh, shoot. And Jack, what it, <laughs> the, def, the definition of this here, I'll read it for you. Uh, it, of t- cultural appropriation is taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expressions, or artifacts from someone else's culture without permission. Are we actually going to go in that Exactly through? what he's doing. Which yeah, is exactly what he's doing. He's stealing from Christmas he, Town he without a, asking anybody. He is yeah. bored with his humdrum life where he is in charge of everything and has this big, enormous house, and everybody loves him, but he's bored with his life and wants something else. So the first thing that he sees, he just, instead of trying to learn about it, just takes it for himself. Yeah, because he doesn't talk about it to anyone. And then does his version of it. He doesn't try to... And says that... it. it, He says at one point, I wrote this down, he will do a better version of it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so, like, he's taking this cultural knowledge of Christmas Town, and it's not really explained, of course, like, where all this cultural knowledge comes on from in each town, but... They're, they're weird little he's taking it without yeah. their permission, which is sort of interesting. Mikey's raising his hand. Oh, he's going to he question. He's gonna no, explode. I'm just because yeah, Jack Skeleton is apparently Iggy Azalea. Is that what we're talking yeah, about right of. now? Oh, I don't know wow. who Iggy Azalea is, but yes. Uh, Jesus she is Christ. An, <laughs> she's an Australian she's the, rapper. Yes. Who she's the one who's getting, in a who's getting her culture despite yes, not yes. having come from anybody. Yeah. You're Australian. Speak like an Australian. She's so, so like, fancy? I understand, like, he is misguided. I don't know any of the songs. Like, yeah. in, like, this, like, activity. But he's not a villain, per se. Yeah, and I think... No, yeah. I get... The movie doesn't exactly have a villain, except kind of Oogie, but he's not in it enough to be a villain. Right. He's a villain I, I like for the, the purposes idea that he's of the... having a climactic confrontation. Oh, yes. I like the idea that he's the Tea Party version of... Jack, he's like the far right of uh, Halloween Town. So, I'm sorry, so let's, alright, so rather than, this is another thing that I want to, I guess now that's coming up, is, alright, so we're looking at at a a 22-year-old movie. Yes. 21-year-old movie. And now we're, we're, and people who are clearly like reviewing it in hindsight. Well, you know, Christmas time, everybody goes and looks at all the Christmas films. Sure, sure. But then they start talking about things in cult, in like, and like, they're, they're throwing the idea of cultural appropriation, which we can totally find in this movie. The idea that in your eyes, like from when you were maybe nine years old, 10 years Mm -hmm. old when you first saw it, um, and now again, 22 years later, 21 years later, you're like saying, I still hated it. I still consider him a villain. And I'm just like, Jack isn't a villain. He's got moments where he's just like, he's like angry. He's like, I am the pumpkin king and I do rule this. But there's like a pathos and a, and a misery that makes me feel more along the lines of when I first saw uh, uh, well, Edward I, Scissorhands. You know, like where you're like, there's this misunderstanding. He's a misunderstood guy. And I hated Edward Scissorhands. All right. So now we're found a bias. <laughs> All right. You don't like Kubrick or Burton. Or Burton. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, I will there's... never forgive him for Batman. Cool. Well, there's there's a di- mm. let me let me wow. <laughs> so all right, now so... let's just switch this. Tess, we're gonna actually change the the, oh, the no. gears here and talk about how you're wrong. All right, let let me. Wow, way to gang up on the woman. Yeah. No yeah. Kidding. Oh, we're oh, not cool, bro. Now. Let me not cool, bro. Let me talk. Let me talk. So uh, let me. So <laughs> going back to the movie we're talking about, oh, yeah. Yeah. just for the sake of maintaining peace in this house. Um, okay, so. You said Jack Skellington's a bad guy. I agree. He's not a bad guy, but in the movie, he the actions he takes are definitely the bad guy actions. Like the part of the reason Oogie Boogie's in there, I think, is so that the the final confrontation between the good guy and the bad guy is between Jack and a bad guy instead of Santa and Jack, which is the one that would make sense. Because the yeah. the way it's been built up so far, it should be Santa taking back the holiday. Right. But they 
can't have that because they can't have the guy the movie's been about the entire time turn out to be but up until straight that point, up villain. Santa has uh, there's no straight up confrontation between Jack and Santa. Uh, Santa has been boosted by. Um, by the, the little kid. Yeah, by the, the three, three kids. trick-or-treaters. Lock, shock, and barrel. Lock, shock, and barrel. Who... Who I genuinely enjoy. Those who three characters. Deliver, <laughs> who deliver him to Oogie Boogie. Right. Outside of Jack's knowledge. And when they find... And Jack finds out, he's like, I'm... Oh, gonna, yeah. No, no. I understand. Yeah. I understand how the movie works. <laughs> well, no. I mean, my point being is that then I think maybe Oogie Boogie exists to be like, have a big bad. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately. That's what I'm saying yeah. is they stuck Oogie Boogie in there so that they have someone worse than Jack. So that when Jack has his change of heart... They can still have a fight um, between Jack and somebody else, but have them between Jack and someone who's worse than Jack, instead of between Jack and Santa, because there's nobody else fighting. It would make sense. And Oogie's using slashing weapons against Jack, which is just a mistake. You need. You well, know. he's fighting somebody who can take off his own head. I mean, and he has a gambling habit. All right? He has a gambling true. problem. This is like a Dino 2 on He does. Yeah, he I think Oogie was like once some. in charge of Halloween Town. Yes, I like this theory. Yeah. But Jack mm-hmm. took over. But then Jack mm-hmm. took over, maybe because Oogie had a gambling problem, and he was spending all of Halloween Town's money. Ooh. So, the other thing so is Oogie Boogie is the Iggy Azalea and the Tea Party <laughs> and um, the Michael Jordan. What we're saying is you can glom on anything onto the theme of... Every, so this, every one of them. So this is basically Space Jam. But, you know, here's the thing. At the end of the day... Jack is not only repentant and feels like I, mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, we've all existed in our own separate worlds. I see what I wanted. And I was told you can't do that. And moreover, he finds Sally and he's like, you were right. I've been so blinded by my own power and everything like that. And that's just, it's, it's, I thought classic storytelling. The Jack oh, yeah. at the end of the movie, I like, it's just everything leading up to the last 10 minutes of the movie but know, that's also Jack's character. Arc. Yeah, yeah, that's he's his go hero's that way, journey. Right? He's been this. And super Santa powerful. doesn't forgive him at the end either. No, Santa's just like, yeah, you fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking back my holiday now. But I'm gonna go fix your fuck up. Yeah, yeah. but then yeah. he comes back and he's like, you know, I'm gonna give you a little bit because I think you know why I do this, and I think it's important you keep this so you keep your own holiday right. fresh. And well, it's just also, about, it's Santa. I mean, he's not going to curb stomp somebody. He, he's going to forgive him because it's Santa. He, he might in a Kubrick film. <laughs> he might in a Kubrick film oh, with a penis Kubrick mask and a derby. You pronounce so Kubrick so interestingly. Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. You pronounce things very strangely from time to time. I'm not saying too. it's bad. I'm just saying it's different from me. Fair this well. is my baseline. Cube. Cube. Rick. Cubert Rick. Gleaming the Kubrick. Mm. That'd be a skateboarding movie well, to watch. I mean, oh, wow. the whole thing's a. Dragging it back onto the rails. Yes, um, the whole I was thing. I do that myself. It, it's Jack's hero's journey of maturing because he's this super powerful guy who assumes because he's run this town and because he's done this one thing really well, he can do anything. And then he learns that is not true. He is bad at Christmas. This is not what he's doing is wrong for Christmas. Well, he might be good at Christmas, but he never asks anybody right. about Christmas, which <laughs> seems like would then be the logical have... thing to do. I do think with this movie, it is very important to talk about the fact that it is such a cultural phenomenon, mm-hmm. and that is another part of why it didn't Jones with me, because it got, like, in 93, people saw it, but then it became this whole thing. It flopped, so, though, when it came out. Oh, yeah. It didn't do well at all. So by the time I was in high school, and awkward and comfortable, and I went through a goth period and all of that, when, well. like, I was supposed to be the person who loved this movie when everyone around me was, oh, yeah. there was the greatest a, thing ever. There was a while there where half of what Hot Topic sold was Nightmare Before exactly. Christmas Exactly. Well, they yeah. still do. 
But during that time period, maybe it was almost my rebellion to be like, no, I am not going to be the obviously little goth girl who loves this movie. I'm going to be so, anti-establishment be, against yes. the established so, anti-establishment. It's like rebellion against like their rebellion. Movie was partly from a legitimate feminist standpoint and partly from hipsterism. I love that word. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was like, I am wearing my giant combat boots and all black, but I hate this movie, so I'm different and it might have also been one of the first times i think and i in my memory outside of like the times people were wearing misfit t-shirts and like we're actually like trying to be punk dirtball torn up jeans mm-hmm. before pre-irony where they're like i bet you we can mass market this darkness and throw it in spencers and hot topic and yeah it will now be on t-shirts and wallets and earrings and let's market it to yeah. people who want to be it like the the kid brother and sisters mm-hmm. are the people who were listening to that stuff too and i had always been like the kid who was kind of creepy like friends would leave cuz i was that kid who was like what's with this weird girl who like has black sheets on the top of her bed and there was literally a coffin in my basement for a while it was huh. a theater prop and like mine was the Halloween family. Like we were, we, we were called the Adams family. <laughs> I was called Wednesday all the time. So it was another one of those. No, I'm gonna rebel against this, even though I still like all of this dark stuff. Yeah. And if that was the case, uh, it would have been my only hope to be like to reexamine it with like older eyes. Um, at least because you know because we did the same thing when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean that was like all of our. Th- <laughs> And it was like half hoarders, half... Oh, yeah, show. absolutely. But it was also... I mean, I think it would just have been nice to know that a movie like that, if you can re-examine it... And there's... Trust me, there's plenty of them that I watch and was like, nope, nope, nope. And I can come back and be like, nope, nope, nope. That I think maybe the appropriation yeah. was enough to be like... It didn't It didn't sit with me then and it's not sitting with me now. And I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't watch something or read something and not have whatever frame of mind I'm in not affected sure. well, tremendously. Yeah, everything we watch it comes with the baggage of what you know about it from before. Yeah. We were talking about that with Nicolas Cage like how hard it is to watch a Nicolas Cage movie now because he comes with so much <laughs> insanity baggage. And and how when I said like he's an Academy Award winner, <laughs> what for? I'm like, for leaving Las Vegas the well, man yeah. like turned in a terrifyingly sad portrait of a guy like mm-hmm. suffering from addiction yeah, he's done great work but now he just comes with a duffel bag full of human teeth yeah and there's well, no way to deal with now that. he's just so obsessed with collecting everything that he's completely out of money mm-hmm. <laughs> okay but then Collect my other thing but you know like when i watched the movie the english patient and everybody was like this is going to be the best movie ever and i got i was super bored mm-hmm. and walking out of it i was like oh, super mad i was I like hated why Gone was this with the wind yeah is this stuff oh, that people okay. love that right. no. So, um, all right. In terms of in terms of effects, though, getting back to Nightmare Before Christmas, to the actual movie, to the actual movie. um, I enjoyed the music. I really enjoy uh, fairly consistently all of Elfman's work and his collaborations with Tim Burton and Tim Burton's collaborators in terms of Henry Selleck. I think well, those guys very Burton inspired, even it, if he didn't oh, yeah. direct it. It's still got that like German expressionism yeah. look. Going it. even going back to like, I mean, going back to if we're looking at Burton, like going back to like Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he like kind of first came out there. Um, how he, how he, and that's a, big, a Burton I love. Yeah, Big Top Pee Wee, Beetlejuice. <laughs> Um, Which this one very uh, the first thing when I'm watching it and the snake comes out and I'm like oh my god Beetlejuice yeah, right there yeah right and you know and then you know I know I know there's there's haters but at the same time the rest of us loved uh, when it came out as a kid this was the the superhero movie I needed that we had not had in since Superman 
you know, and so Pee-wee's Batman. Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Yeah, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, what are you on now? No. <laughs> uh, so the first I mean, Batman, the first Burton. And then the second Burton Batman, I even enjoyed, I have a lot to enjoy about it. Um, yeah, I just, I think then he kind of has some shark jumping moments too. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, like, and there's, in the past, like, 15 years, we could probably all sit there and spend a lot more time kvetching about shit that he's done that none of us really enjoyed. I mean, I enjoy well, I Big mean, Fish a lot. I love Big oh, Fish. Yeah, I, love uh, I feel that's probably his best movie of the last, mm-hmm. what is it? Probably 15, 15 years. years yeah. Yeah. Big Fish is one of, oh, well, I love yeah, that movie so much. Mostly it doesn't come with the Burton baggage. the person but... who was the main character. Mm. Phil's grandfather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Totally. I'm. You know what? I'm really glad that you picked something out, though. I like, really thought it was great that you picked something yeah. out that I was like, yeah. And you're like, you know what? I have no, problems with it. I hate it. Well, yeah, but well, you, know you picked something challenging to yourself. Yeah. And, and so now I kind of feel like I should watch it one more time. With oh, one, I do, am I sure I hate with, it? Yeah, I just like I need to keep putting different lenses on. To <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the people that <laughs> were in filter. the like the people yeah. in the people well, versus George keep in Lucas. Mind that who high school douchebags like can ruin anything. See the Phantom this is so, true, and I was, so if you can watch it with nope, nope, keeping in mind <laughs> the high school douchebags can ruin anything, maybe we should forget them. And that I was help. I was such a freaking miserable kid when this like when this movie became popular because mm-hmm. like between thirteen and fifteen, I lived in just this little world of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 13 is, unless you have a, a year where something specifically happens, like both your parents die in a yeah. jet crash or something. Or you go to Hogwarts. Thir- right. Age 13 is every the worst year of everyone's life. 15 is the worst year of my life. I want to also point well, out, before we're, before we're so starting over our junior high years, uh, <laughs> the voice cast. Uh, yes. We mentioned we mentioned Humperdinck and Danny Elfman. Yes. Uh, the fan. Fantastic! Out here, what'd you say, Catherine O'Hara, yeah. who yeah. is just yeah. my favorite. Who voiced um, both of the female characters? Oh yes. <laughs> and then you have uh, the guy that played Oogie Boogie was an actor who originated the role of Mr. Mistopheles in Cats. Oh no, I'm sorry, um, uh, Deuteronomy. Old Deuteronomy. Okay, yeah. I was gonna say like, no, he doesn't. Um, okay. He's fantastic. <laughs> and then you have the guy that played the mad scientist. Dr. Um, Finkelstein. Dr. Finkelstein was the guy... Who, apparently in the first draft, Finkelstein was supposed to be the villain at the end. Oh. Like, Oogie Boogie I was Finkelstein in disguise. I can see that. So Finkelstein interesting. was the voice of the guy from Christmas Vacation that's like, The Blessing! That old man. Wow. Oh my Never God. Seen Forgot it. Sin! Sin! I have seen it. Thank you. I've seen Christmas. They want you to say grace. I seen Grace died thirty years ago. I just don't care. (laughs) I give it three more podcasts before we read. This is why Double Bill Mikey makes. This is why Josh is going to be an awesome lawyer. (laughs) Your Honor. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my office. I don't care. I don't care. It's Tommy Lee Jones and the yeah, I got, I got, bu- I got business cards say that. Well, I keep meaning to order them, but you know, I don't care. <laughs> um, so it's got a fantastic voice cast. Uh, it's got speaking of Christopher Lee, it's got Patrick Stewart, Picard himself, doing the uh, narration. Oh yeah, that's right for the entirety, oh, which yes. is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I think just all that puts that together my very first crush. There you go. <laughs> so I think all that puts together to, for me a great movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate it completely that, like, I, I get it, you know? It's like, well, you're it's that all part about of your... to attack me because we're going to talk about a movie that I just, like, latch on to. I don't not think anybody's go. going to, like, go, oh, no, shit. I hate Coraline. Yeah, Coraline can suck it. <laughs> Stick it in your mouth and Flip suck it. table. Oh, yeah. Oh. Recorder. Drop the Josh recorder. Josh yells at me for dropping the recorder. Oh, you like Coraline, huh? 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 
Oh, little baby. You're just like those kids that made me say that I was a bad person. Blah, no. I didn't really like Caroline, and I don't know why people do. (laughs) Yes, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about Caroline. (laughs) That's right. I called her Caroline. Boom. Drop the mic. Can we sing a song about Caroline? No. Only if it's by They Might Be Giants. Oh. Here to talk about Coraline. Yay. She's a peach. She's a pal. She's a friend of mine. Feel like I'm going to lose my mind. And you keep on putting <laughs> my love. Watching Get the Coraline. Coraline. Get the mic. We could sing the last time when we did the Blues Brothers. Oh, this is a musical podcast. So, to so, you. Uh, tell us about your favorite Tell film. us about your favorite film, Coraline. My favorite. Okay. So... I was introduced to Neil Gaiman 14 years ago when a very nice little boy handed me um, Good Omens. I then married that nice little boy. Um, Gross. Who was sitting awkwardly in the corner. Yes, you, you did in fact hand me a copy of Anyway. Go back to designing your D&D levels. Um, so I, I then was introduced to Neil Gaiman and immediately just fell in love with him. And the next mm-hmm. Gaiman thing that I found that I fell in love with was Coraline. It took me a little while before I found Sandman and all of the other ones, and now just anything Gaiman I'm attached to. Like, oh my god, it's amazing. Um, and I'm going to clutch my copy, my signed copy of Coraline now. Ooh, right on. So, Ooh, <laughs> fancy pants. Um, Can I just say... Con. <laughs> Can I just say, when Coraline came out, they did a, a guerrilla marketing thing. I think it was the movie came out. They hid button keys throughout various cities, and a friend of mine found one and showed nice. it to me. And I begged him for it, and he'd already promised it to somebody else. Oh. So I almost had a button key. Despite. Do you know how many they put out there? I want to say they put like a hundred or so in each of the major cities they did, so they must have done... Interesting. You know, a fair number, but not like twenty million or something. I'm I'm one hundred percent with you. I uh, I'd collected comics when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and then I'd gotten out of it, and I was working my first corporate job, and there was a couple of uh, huge nerds that I sat next to, and we would talk comics just kind of very superficially. And one of them said, "Hey, dude, have you read The Sandman?" And I was I looked at him, I was like, "The what?" I'm like, "Are you talking about like you know the guy the D- I can't even remember the DC comic?" He's like, "No, no, no." And he came in the next day with two grocery bags full of all of his graphics oh, novels. Nice. And he said, take your time. And he goes, if you have any questions, let me know. I went to a signing at uh, Dreamhaven mm-hmm. where Neil Gaiman showed up. And he said, later on he told me, he goes, I was like, how did you do this? How did you? He's like, he goes, well, he goes, Britons have over, you know, 2,000 years worth of history for their, you know, and the Americans only have 200 years so this is where I'm pulling it all from and I was like that is the most amazing thing and so I got pulled in and from there it went to like Good Omens um, to uh, just anything any short story he did uh, American Gods Gods. yeah everything American Gods and Nancy Boys it it was just like he there's really alright so we're all pretty much on the same page Neil Gaiman is one of the most fantastical (laughs) fantasy storytellers Well, and he has this incredible ability to write children. Mm-hmm. But specifically, and I think this is what really got me about Coraline and then later um, the Graveyard Book, because it's the other, another one of my favorite games. Oh, yeah. Gaiman, Beautiful. Yes. Is not only that he has this ability to write children, that he has this ability to write children sort of like children that were like me. Children that were not good at being children. Mm-hmm. And I was terrible at being a child. Like, I didn't <laughs> like kids when I was a kid. So I was sort of naturally that loner for that reason. 
And he writes those characters, and he writes them so well. And it's just really, really nice. So I immediately latched on to this character of this little girl. Um, and then the fact that she's got these weird other mother things. Anytime you get into a mother-daughter relationship, I'm instantly like, what's happening? I want to watch this. This is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, like, just every part of it, I just absolutely adored. Just just grabbed a hold of. And then you've got Terry Hatcher voicing the mother, and I, I adore Terry Hatcher quite a bit. Um, I binged on Lois and Clark when I was a kid, and then I, like, was, I, you know, I, I, before I could jump on the internet constantly, I was, like, in the library looking for any information on this woman I could possibly find. So having her voice that character made it even more so. So there were all of these factors that made me fall in love with this movie. And then you throw in, and this is the biggest one, the soundtrack. <laughs> oh my god, the soundtrack for that movie. It's a, it's a fantastic cacophony of noise. And moreover, um, the movie, what I loved about the movie is that uh, the soundtrack, not only that, but the cast yeah. is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Because not only do you have uh, Miss Terry Hatcher of Lois and Clark, which debuted in 1993, one of my favorite shows, same year, oddly enough, that oh, Nightmare so Before Christmas became... Came out. Yes. I've actually never heard anyone else say they liked that show. That's weird because Lois and Clark, sure Lois and Clark was great. Oh, I, 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 I never watched it. I, I taped every single episode. I don't know. I think you uh, might dig it. Honestly, I'm maybe. not going back. I'm like, I think I remember might, my I aunt like spot. watching it. Did you ever? Anyway, I, never, I don't think I ever watched an episode. We'll have a we'll have an offline conversation. <clears throat> um, so the '90s was me taping Lois and Clark in Babylon Five. Just that that was what everything was. Highlander. Ooh, um, X-Files uh, and Simpsons. X-Files, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that, like, you said you like the soundtrack of Coraline, right? No, the, the, the soundtrack, not just the soundtrack, but, like, the actual scoring and, like, the way the music, like, propelled the action. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then also, but, but with the soundtrack, it wasn't a proper musical. What you have is you have a... a, a <laughs> yeah, there's only one song. Yeah. That, and it's not like we're breaking out into our own emotional song. Right. It's, That's hey, so I got a song for you. Da, 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 I immediately da, 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 da. start Let's thinking get of the, that intro, which I can't sing because I, I don't know what language it's in. I think I looked it up oh, at yeah, one point and it's weird... like Romanian or something. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, the way and... it comes across is like nonsense children. Yeah, song. and I I'm mean, not, it's a real language. Not, I apologize, not, Romania. Yeah. But... But it's, I love listening to that soundtrack. It's a really good, I listen to it all the time. It's great to listen to when you're playing D&D. Uh, you have voices <laughs> of uh, uh, Ms. Dakota Fanning, mm -hmm. uh, and you have Ian McShane as the cat, yep. which yes. is fantastic. No, Ian um, McShane is not the cat. Ian McShane is Mr. Um, Babinski. No, I'm pretty sure Ian McShane Are you is... questioning our human IMDb? I am. Because if you win, I'll give you a dollar. I'm pretty sure McShane was Babinski. Uh, the cat. Uh, the cat is sarcastic. Anyway, John Hodgman is also in it while he's looking that up. Yes. As, he's the father, as Coraline's right? father. Yes, yes. Great. <laughs> and has an, a wonderful voice alike when they do their one song. Yes. John When Lowe. Yes. When They Might Be Giants comes in. Just great. <laughs> I, this is one of those Nexus movies for me that just sort of proves all the awesome people know each other. Because <laughs> Henry Selick di directed a Neil Gaiman story and got John Hodgman and They Might Be Giants in on it. That's not a natural progression at any stage, but they just everybody knows each other. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Saunders. Oh, oh yes, that's right. Fantastic, John Linnell is the other fellow singing good. voice. I, yep. I, like, I like both of those characters. You're right. Miss uh, Machine is Mr. Wobinski. Um, the cat is Keith David. Keith David is the cat. Doy. Which is weird, coming from a guy who wanted to do a Keith David double bill. 
Oh, I know. I want David to Keith. David Keith and Keith David. <laughs> Woo! They live in Daredevil. We can do it. Wow, that's that could be your combination. next. Pick. We could do that if you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh come on! Come well, on. I don't know I if did, I want to do a double bill. It's just us looking at photos of actors and going, "Ha, their names are so similar." <laughs> I know it was a joke, anyway. So, um, what a good one! Better than a, a cage. lot of our podcast started as jokes. Cage rage. So, um, all right. So everybody here knows the plot of Coraline, um, which also feels kind of remarkably similar in just tone to Beetlejuice, I guess. Yeah. You know, I'll, Actually, you know what the the thing it reminds me the most of is Clive Barker's Thief of Always. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's no. a children's book, not unlike Coraline, where the kid is like, "Oh, I'm having such a hard time at home," blah blah blah, and uh, some guy, a guy named Rictus, appears to to him, which is <laughs> always a good sign. always a good sign. Yeah, and it's like you know, come to uh, the special place. It's called like Paradise House. And uh, you get wishes every day. There's a season, like for every, like every day is a different season. Like so, you cycle through each of the seasons within four days, and you get all the gifts you want. Uh, Halloween in the afternoon, Christmas in the evening, completely awesome. And the kid goes, and eventually it's revealed, of course, that there's like some sort of like psychic vampire like siphoning off the spirits of the kids that are brought to this house. Wow. Well, I'm, there's a lot of stories. And there's actually a cat and... that helps him get free. Cats are liminal. I'm sad that my cat isn't sitting on me right now. I I am incapable of watching Coraline without having my cat on my lap. And I think think that was in the early 90s when he wrote that. That's neat. Yeah. So, very similar. Well, there's a lot of stories that our kid wants to run away from boring life. He finds exciting life, and there turns out exciting life has fangs for him. Where the wild things are is perfect. Something wicked this way comes. The evil circus comes to town. Yeah. Well, so, and, like, the precursor and, of Thief of Always yeah. is sort of like something wicked this way comes. Yeah. Well, you could just keep making also steps point back. Out what I was yeah. talking about game and writing children, he talked about, because he wrote a children's book about a Punch and Judy show, mm-hmm. and he talked about how no one in the States liked it. Like, it took me a long time to find it because it's a very British yeah. sentiment. Mr. Just, Punch. Mr. Punch, yeah. yeah. Um, and you can kind of see that come out in the way that he does children because the children that he writes are a little more hardened, I guess, mm-hmm. to things like that. So Yeah, makes sense. No, well, totally, that. totally. Um, so I guess Coraline, in a nutshell, is, yeah, she arrives at this house with her mom and dad. The Pink Palace. The Pink Palace, mm-hmm. uh, with the eccentric boarders that live there. Mr. Bobinski. Mr. Bobinski, Spink, and Forcible, the... Um, they were clearly vaudeville stars. Burlesque, yeah. vaudeville, yeah. And, yeah. They yeah. stuffed their King terriers. That, yes. And I love that it was the terriers in the, in the book. Um, it, it, they're not terriers. They're not all the exact same kind of dog. Okay. Mm. Um, and visually making them all terriers is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> well, they're um, just fun dogs. Well. And she and Coraline finds a uh, doorway to a different world, which is a mirror world of her own, where her family and her mom and dad are perfect versions of... Of yeah. her own. Well, who, her, her real life family is not bad neglectful, but neglectful. They, they have real world concerns they have to take care of, mm-hmm. and she doesn't have time to care. They're a little oblivious. Yes. Right. They're, they're dealing with stuff that's bigger than her, and she doesn't fully understand that. There's financial problems that are hinted at. Deadlines. There are, mm-hmm. you know, get, yeah. yeah. So, the, but, you know, she meets. I always when she, assume they move because they had to, because of money. And when she meets the, when she meets uh, Wybie, the kid, 
Um, Who was also not in the book, incidentally. Okay. Oh, that's but, right. Ivy is an addition that yeah. I adore. To uh, to give like a, a foil of her same age, but also a little weird, a little mm-hmm. a little quirky. But she's clearly the dominating character. She's like, you know what? This is I'm going to do this and this and this. But when she finds these, she keeps going back, and she goes back to this other uh, other mother, other father. Who treat her like a million dollars and make her feel like this is a perfect life, this is a life I want. They give her everything they give she her wants. Everything mm-hmm. until uh, the veneer cracks and she discovers that it is kind of a, another psychic vampire of sorts. Yeah. With uh, the other Hell mother damn. Yeah. The mm-hmm. other mother like taking over. There's there's the spirits of the children where she needs to go on a quest to find these certain Their totems. Souls. Their souls. And uh, the Keith David voiced kitten who is also like the uh, the kind of the familiar, the one that guides her through, who can like see through all the BS. Um, it's I mean it's got it's got a great beginning, middle, and end. It's got a great arc, and it it keeps you on the seat of your pants. And I think it's, it's I think it's a fantastic movie as well. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the hell out of it even back then in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. and I love the shit out of it. I love the idea and the concept, and I think a lot of that again hinges on the writer because Neil Gaiman does a great job telling yeah. these stories yeah. about these strong kid characters that kids can relate to without pandering or seeming patronizing or like making giving them weakness. Right. Rowling has weaknesses, which are her her hubris and her desire to have something better, but. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's a very controlling character. Very mm-hmm. much in the spirit of Gaiman, in in the other films that have been made out of his books, because he he knows what his books are. He's not going to let you make a film out of them that he doesn't approve of. Essentially, that's why mm-hmm. the horrendous version of Anansi Boys that they wanted to do with white people, Jesus, like, he said no to. He, you know, absolutely not. He's a good guy who's actually got, you know. Yeah. If, cred. If, cred. Cred. Thank yeah. you. If you cred want a good Anansi Boys movie, just listen to the book on tape starring Lenny Henry and look at anything. Look at a tree. Um, so you got it. With Coraline and then also to another extent with Stardust, which is another game in, which big fan of. Enjoyed it. There yeah. are differences between the books and the movies that I actually feel like the films did a little bit better. I felt including the YB character was really interesting. Um, and this is a strange little subtle thing that I noticed this last time watching it through. So Coraline has blue hair. And the assumption through it is just, okay, it's that's the the the, the way that it looks and all that. Right. But this time I was paying attention enough that there is at one point when she's in her parents' bedroom, because they're gone, mm-hmm. and she's crying because they're gone, there's a picture sitting on her parents' bed, next to her parents' bed, with her two parents and her. And she has brown hair in the picture. Oh, I didn't notice that. So she has actually dyed her hair blue and this, like, rebellious thing, mm-hmm. which I think is just a really interesting and brilliant little... Neat. ...little addition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Nice. Subtle. Now I've got to rewatch the dumbass thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, darn. Aww. <laughs> All right. Go get it. Brian Watson Jones, you still have any... Yeah. Did you bring it back, by the yeah, way? Yeah, I've said it. Oh, good. Because... <laughs> Podcast time. Where's my DVD, yeah, bitch? Put it on Where top, is it? I put it on top of Tusk. Oh, good. That's so you'll have to watch it before you watch Tusk. Cover it up. Okay. No, cover to up get Tusk. It, to move it. No, don't cover up Tusk. <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm turning that DVD into a walrus. I'm making oh. it a walrus suit and gluing fangs onto it. Are you going to shoot the spider anyway. in the potty hole? Oh, my God. Does anyone have more to say about Coraline? Yes. I have one other thing. I actually, before I saw it the first time, I didn't see it when it first came out because I went, oh, 
It's like the Nightmare Before Christmas. I won't like it. So I didn't see it for several years. Wow. Because I didn't like Nightmare Before Christmas. Because you didn't like the movie or the style? I didn't like the style. Okay. But in this case, I feel like... And I... In rewatching Nightmare, I did like the style more. But in I, I thought the style worked so well for Coraline. Um, subtle thing, well, not so subtle, but like the, the mother, the other mother, the fact that in each time you see her, her fingernails get a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her body distorts a little bit. At one point she's wearing this, this dress that has this sort of butt on it that is reminiscent of a spider. And mm-hmm. she slowly turns into that and then the needle hands. And, and I'm afraid mm-hmm. of spiders, too, which just adds a degree of creepy. Um, and then the fact that, like, the house, the, the mirror, or the mirrors, the, uh, the windows look like bugs in the bug room and all of these subtle little things. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the style really, really helped that, which is a big part of why I wanted to watch it with Nightmare. Because it is because Nightmare that I didn't see Coraline until it was out on DVD. Can you, do you think you can give, like, a little bit of, and maybe this is a double back piece, but, I mean, now that you watch it, I mean, is there, are there... Never mind. Let's just double back and we'll talk about that later. Because I was curious. Well, no. What do you want to well, say? I'm curious if she's if like now, Tess. You're like now that you've seen it. There's parts just even though you don't like Nightmare, yeah. But parts of one Nightmare now you can appreciate more. Oh, absolutely. Totally because like it's like well, okay. Because you know sometimes uh, here's an analogy that's completely my my best friend is a is a jazz instructor. He teaches upright bass, and he gets a lot of butt rockers that come in who are like, I want to learn how to play electric bass, and he's like, We're gonna learn upright first. And they all say, no, I'm going to learn how to rock. And he says, here's the deal. We're going to learn jazz first. And then from there, we're going to go into electric eventually. He goes, you got to learn to walk before you crawl. And, you know, it's backwards and forwards. you got to learn to upright first. We're not going to plug this thing in until you can learn the fingering. Uh, And so sometimes when you see movies, like... Uh, classic example, we watch Seven Samurai before we watch Magnificent Seven, you know? Mm-hmm. It's sometimes I feel like the experience of seeing a movie that is very popular and then seeing the original impetus for the movie sometimes accentuates and improves the performance, mm-hmm. even if you didn't like the first one before. So I was just curious as to whether or not yeah, you I dug it a little bit more. Yeah, I have a greater appreciation for it. Um, and there were parts of Nightmare that I really liked. Like, the three kids. I, I really liked the three kids. <laughs> um, and and the their their song about... Kidnapping the Santa Claus, I really enjoy. So yeah, I definitely it gives me more appreciation. And watching it back to back like that, and seeing just how crisp Coraline is in mm-hmm. comparison, just seeing the technology advance. You're talking about visually crisp. Visually crisp, yes. yes. Because I think oh, yeah. I think Nightmare is the crisper film, like in terms of beats, because Coraline takes its time and there, it lingers on scenes mm-hmm. longer than Nightmare does. Mm-hmm. Nightmare is clipped together. It's in a shorter movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. By, it's, a, it's an hour and 16 minutes. I don't know how long Coraline is, it's, but it's longer than that. Coraline, like all the other Leica films, like Paranorman and uh, what's the most recent one, Box Trolls, they, uh, I think, like in the storyboarding part, you know, they film all those scenes mm-hmm. and then, like, they don't cut them down necessarily because it took them so long to do them actually. So right, they're right, right. put them in the movie. Much anyway. bigger loss. Of, yeah, it's I a loss of things. I understand what you mean, but I can't imagine any part of Coraline being cut. <laughs> well, it's not. It, it's intentionally slower. It's not a bad yeah. thing that it no, is, but yeah. it, it's very much. It lingers. A, let, it let's does. take a moment with this and let it settle in and let you fully understand it. 
Whereas Nightmare is just like boom, 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 boom. It moves yeah. the plot. And well, again, Coraline's got a lot more going on under the surface. Well, and Coraline like, is meant to show night- you like the real world first, mm-hmm. and yes. then show you the manic like energy of like the other world. Yeah. So I think well, it, it that's also, deliberate. I mean, because it is. There's a lot going on that's going over Coraline's head and that she has to learn about, mm-hmm. but it gives the audience a chance to see that anyway. And you have to, if it's just through her eyes, you miss that because that's the point. But things like the difficulties the family's having, how annoying she's being, mm-hmm. it takes a while. It lets you really settle in and understand those scenes. Yeah, Coraline, I don't think is a sympath- isn't that sympathetic of a character. Like yeah. right at the front. No, she's well, a child. Yeah, it was well, the same thing as Jack Skellington is that. No. She's got flaws, and she's got things to learn, and you have to see her not knowing that, but still being, like, an understandable, realized individual, and then figuring out, oh, wait, no. And it's the point I, that I'm she does... I'm selfish here, I'm being yeah. blind here. I want to go home, and I need to get out of here. And that's that point when you're just like, this is a perfect world, but what what the catch is? And when she figures out the catch, you switch, you're like, yeah, get out of there, girl. Come on, yeah. Coraline, go home, go home, go home. Well, I think we've transitioned into the comparison now. We yeah. Something... <laughs> Something I really noticed rewatching them this time is both the movies are about being really dissatisfied with where you are in life, and then when you try to escape, realizing you have to go back to where you belong, which is a hard lesson to do well because it's really easy to say you. It's really easy to tell that story and have the moral actually be you shouldn't have ambition to improve your life. You should be satisfied with what you got. Neither of those movies do it that way, which is impressive to me. Both of them say it's not that you shouldn't have ambitions, it's that you should know where you belong, what what world is right for you, what you're good at, where other people need you and where you need them. But the, There are very few things that do that. The only other one that comes to my mind is Pippin that has that sort hmm. of idea of, yes, try your hardest, but also be realistic about the fact that who you are is, yeah. is, a, is good. You know? But it's interesting with these two movies, they... they Nightmare, it's an entirely internal problem. Like, he goes out and he tries to find a new world, but he screws it up. And Coraline, it's the opposite. She goes out and she finds a new world, but there's an external threat to her. If the other world was created entirely by her and was actually perfect, she might have stayed there and never gone back home and never been seen again. But it wasn't. It turned out to be a gigantic spider web filled with candy. It's a a gingerbread house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a witch in it. Hey. So, no. There's a hag in it. Fine. A I big frassy butt knife spider. I allowed, am I allowed to imply? I'm just. I, I am adamantly not a fan of using witch as a derogatory, <laughs> and I'll just say that, and we can move past it, because otherwise I'll go on a tangent. All right. There's a spider in it. It's a gingerbread house with a spider in it, yeah. and the spider happens to have magical powers. Yes. All right, so it's an external threat, and she has to escape from that and defeat it. But it's the things she learns about herself are important, but they're not the problem. They're not the central problem to the story. Right. I actually kind of felt like, in addition to the fact that she learned a lot about herself, she learned a lot about her family that she mm-hmm. didn't recognize. So by being around the other mother, she learned to appreciate her actual mother. Yeah. And they again, they did it without doing really obvious dumb morals of like sometimes you gotta eat vegetables, kid. <laughs> you can't just have cake. They avoided that. It was more the the mindset of people who really care about you are hard sometimes because they're not just trying to please you. So I gotta say that that dinner scene always makes me hungry. Well, it's not just cake. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That 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 sweet it's corn true. just makes me sad. Oh yeah, oh, man. gravy. <laughs> 
I want a mango milkshake. I never okay. had one, but it sounds good. I know, it sounds really interesting. If we can figure out a way to set up a milkshake maker to your chandelier. Yeah, it's kind of shaped like that. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. The other world isn't just a world of I sweets. I have a milkshake it's a, maker. It's a world of really cool But it cool only makes trout-flavored yeah. milkshakes. Trout-flavored? Oh, trout-flavored milkshakes. He's, he's been playing... Uh, not Bravely Default. Why did my brain go to Bravely Default? I don't know. It's the only other game you know that I play. Apparently. <laughs> Help me out here. I'm losing Earthbound. nerd Mother Thank you. Losing nerd cred. I'm losing nerd cred. Which, not being incidentally, Earthbound, all their uh, character art for that is done in stop motion, actually, <laughs> before they modeled the uh, they modeled all the digital characters on. I'm just visualizing Claymation. stop motion 16-bit characters. Well, that's, that's what they model all the characters on. Really super cute. That's what it is. Back to the comparison, though. Hey. Um, so I have the, the very obvious comparison of one movie affected my ability to see and watch the other one, and now I kind of feel like... Because of Coraline, I I was able to go back and watch Nightmare and appreciate it a little bit more. Well, that's good. Um, though I do, like, now I do kind of feel like having gotten the feedback of Mikey, I want to watch it again through that. Just to get... get just I, to be sure I, you I've don't hate it. I've lost one more much. layer of cynicism. My 20-year-old my 20 20 goggles, you know, obviously get jumbled up. And I remember... Um, well, that's probably how old I was when I first saw Coraline. Right. And so. I mean, it just, but what I, I think at the time, here's, and then here's my nerd cred at the time. And, and I, and I can put this out there up until then, and this could be another entirely three and a half hour podcast, but the bottom line is we did not have a lot of things that nerds could really glom onto back then in 1993. No, it's, it's mm-hmm. good to be a nerd now. Yeah. Nowadays, it's, like, one. it's it's not just that. We're it's terrible winners. We we had we had like bad like, you know, back backlit Steve Christopher Reeve flying was like the most yeah. amazing thing we had. Uh Michael Keaton in a very hard suit that could barely move fighting uh, bad guys who are better and we got the genesis of the idea of bad guys like more than two ruined a movie because in Batman Returns we had Catwoman who was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Vito was a penguin who was really awesome, and the bad guys were being more interesting, <laughs> right? Eating fish and like just being just hamming it up. And then by the time Schumacher came around, it just became like a ruined enterprise, and like we kind of lost it until Blade came out. Oh, that's why I don't like. I think like your opinion of Tim Burton's films is a little off course because the Shoemaker ones are so bad. No, no, no. no. Why don't you go to those ones first? Yeah, it's, it's the Penguin. But for, for me, oh, you know what? I just, en- I I just enjoy that the director commentary for Batman and Robin is basically Schumacher apologizing. And oh, no, 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 apologizing. I don't even consider those those. But you, yeah. but you, you have to. The important thing is that I'm, and I'm just, I'm a part of I you understand. that from yeah. where I'm coming from is like when Batman came out, that was. That was bigger than Star Wars up until that point. We had nothing. We had no action figures to jump onto. We had some cartoons that were still pretty awesome. And then, like, as soon as oh, yeah. as soon as Tim Burton like was like, I'm done, and I'm going to go focus on other shit, then Schumacher comes on board, and we're just like, this is kind of dumb, but hey, Kissed by a Rose is a pretty good song. <laughs> and then the fourth one comes... That guy got somebody hot. And then the fourth, the fourth round came up, and we're just like... I, that was like, again, Batman Robin, one of the, like, the few times I can count on my hand that I actually put a movie in the VCR, watched five minutes, took it out, returned it the same day. Yeah, I, I walked into a free vi- viewing of that. I watched it for five minutes and it left. I, actually... I begged my parents to go see oh. that movie. Ugh. Begged them. Well, that's how powerful the Burton movies were. Yeah. It took two Schumacher films to kill the franchise. Yeah. I Not actually, one. It only took one bad Spider-Man to reboot it. Mm-hmm. I actually can't appreciate the you didn't have that stuff for this reason, I didn't have 
in film those female characters to glom onto. We barely do. Now. We barely. We do barely now. do now. Well, there was no. There was trust no me, Buffy. I could go off on no, I, I, no, I know. I know. I know. For how long? But my point put, is, like, I can see it from that. Like anything, we, please. No, no. Mm-hmm. Let's put that out there again. All right. So you look at like Lois and Clark. Okay. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we had the Flash, which was a great series. And the Flash at the time, I was just like, and it was still humping on like the whole like guy in a molded suit, mm-hmm. you know. But it still had Mark Hamill as the trickster. I mean, it had, it had like the rogues gallery. And as a kid, I was like, yeah. And the fact that it like was canceled after a season bummed me out. And then we had, you know, Highlander. Mm-hmm. And then Lois and Clark came on. It was colorful. But then again, that series even kind of like started like oh, yeah. filtering. And it, you, can, you remember yeah. how it started. Like you're like, it, stop doing that. Stop doing. Yeah. It, it got to a strange place. But when it got to a point where it was still like this and it was just like, I want superheroes. And she was the sassiest goddamn su- yeah. uh, Lois oh, Lane yeah. outside of Margot Kidder up until that point. Yes. Fucker Kate Bosworth, she was right? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. But the, my point is, like, she went toe to toe with Superman. And but we had nothing. Yeah. Up until that, we were trying to find little snips here and there, and until like again, Blade came out, which was the only time '98. I'm serious. When Blade came out, and Steve Norrington like put a superhero movie, and was like, "Is this a superhero movie or a horror movie?" They're like, "No, it's a Marvel property." What does that even oh, mean? <laughs> and then 2000, we get the X Men, and next thing you know, they're like, "Well, let's take some more gambles." And then yeah. we get like Spider Man, X Men, X Men. And then you start getting into Steve we're Wolf. not making this camp. We're making like an honest yeah. to God. Well, movie. why don't we get yeah. some really good fucking actors to be in this yeah. movie? Let's get Ian McKellen. Let's get Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Let's get all these like guys to be in. Like, let's get a director like Christopher Nolan. Oh, so mm-hmm. so yeah. I mean, now with Coraline, it's like I appreciate it. My appreciation for movies like this and that is from where they came from. So mm-hmm. it's a historical precedent. And I don't expect anybody, and I never foist that on anyone, I promise you. But my my bottom line is, like, seeing movies like that always makes me, like, you still have yeah. a warm spot yeah, in my cold, totally. dead heart for movies like that. That's what yeah. the animated series for Batman is. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I dig it the most. I dig it. So, sorry, we're tangent. That was that a tangent? I don't know. It seems like you were pretty. I live point. on tangents, yeah. and I was really good. I didn't get go off on witches or on feminism. Look, I'm not the tangent police. You can go off on. Tangents. I'll give you a witches. I'm not no, going to no, slap no, you down for I going off, off on a tangent. Just, that's you know, no. That's yeah. next semester. That's an offensive shorthand. Hmm? I tangential I law. To, oh, tangential law 101. So I'll yeah. give you that one. Appreciate that. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. What? What are you talking about? I, I was talking know. about Batman for those past ten minutes. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> it's about obfuscating well, all of like the... Coraline in that. Well, yeah. it's an yeah. illusion. Well, can we get Neil yeah. Gaiman? That's instead of quoting the law the to a police officer, well, <laughs> you just start going back and the like technology. referencing other random hey, things. Anyway. Like, officer, do you remember in that uh, 1997 Let's see if we can version of conversations Batman? going at once? Now that we have four officer, do you know? Do you know the case of so then we can have four Gaiman versus Del Toro? Gaiman v Del Toro. Gaiman v Del Toro, 2010. No. Oh. Well, maybe you should sit down then, officer. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. Are, are we going to do a nerd off with the police now? Is that what's happening? It doesn't work. Okay. We could try. Well, okay. The technology between the two films could see significant improvement. I just want to throw out, I love the visual, the three visuals from Coraline that stuck with me from watching it again is the, the corridor between the two worlds extending. Mm-hmm. Because I know exactly how that was done. You can see how that was done. And they obviously just took an actual little prop corridor and extended it. Mm-hmm. But it's gorgeous. And um, and it looks like a cat toy. Mm, yeah, it does. 
Well, everything looks like a cat toy. A cat, it, a only... toy that is actually made for Well, to a cat, everything looks like a cat right, toy. Right, yeah, it's just a box. matter of scale. Um, the second. Thing. The second is when um, when she tries to escape and the floor shatters and turns into that spider yeah. web. Mm-hmm. And then she's crawling on the outside and the, the back is the white blankness of nothing's there. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. And then um, just before that, when she runs out of time to find everything and the button eclipses the moon mm-hmm. and then the moon shatters mm-hmm. and the sky shatters in this fractal pattern. Yeah, the fractal pattern is really neat. Oh, awesome. Obvious, I mean, that, that's that got to be computer generated. You I, could do the floor thing. You obviously could do the corridor thing in practical, in-camera effects. Well, there are digital effects in Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, too. yeah, but the, the digital effects are so much better in that oh, 16 yeah, yeah. years. Like... In '93, having them at all wasn't having them at all, and not having them look like shit was an impressive thing. Because they were done by little baby Pixar, right? Little baby Pixar, <laughs> good way. But it, but I can't even point to any instance in that film where it's like I know that's a digital effect. Right? It was oh, like, yeah. Well, it right, was probably I just felt used like for... I could watching it. I was like when they went into Oogie Boogie, it was sort of oh the bats, this, the bats, uh, yeah. and all of that. Oh, I suppose. And yeah. Well, it, Coraline, probably I a lot of it was used it for out. smoothing out. You know. Yeah. The, the stuff that CGI should be used for, like removing a cameraman from a mirror or turning day to night or smoothing out a weird practical effect. The the stuff where it is invisible because the whole point of it is to cover up. up the fact that something happened. And also, Nightmare Before Christmas is a proper musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And so you 75% have to, of the talking is... You have to take into consideration yeah. that like every, the impetus of each one of the scenes has to lead itself to a point where the, the character has to express themselves through song, via song. And that has to make sense to propel it to the next scene. Mm-hmm. And um, so then again, you have you know, rehearsals and da-da-da, mm-hmm. you know, like learning scores. And not just like going into a booth and like just doing your lines and doing different reads of a character. You're going to have to learn all that stuff top to bottom. So yeah. I, that part of me, and plus I have a hard crush on Catherine O'Hara. I think she's got a beautiful voice. Well, she's that's wonderful. obvious. I mean, she's, yeah. she's Catherine O'Hara. She's Catherine O'Hara. And I think Danny Elfman is great, even though he married my super secret girlfriend, uh, Miss Bridget Fonda, who dropped out of existence. We miss you, Bridget. I imagine she's quite happy somewhere. 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 Locked in Danny Elfman's house somewhere. Ah! She needs to sew her mouth shut. Give her button eyes. She's pushed her through that little closet thing in the living room. She's doing the Femme Nikita, the real version. Has to know. (laughs) So many horrifying visuals in Coraline. Oh, I love it. So sharp, you won't feel a thing. For me, the the big like the whole thing visually, I, I all of it, you know. But the uh, the garden scene, yeah, that's love beautiful. That scene. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. There's so much like technical beauty going on in Coraline. I want. I don't even have a garden, and I want a praying mantis I can drive around. I think. I think it like really. I want the little praying mantis. Um, I can't speak anymore, apparently. Little Praying Mantis uh, photograph holder that she has on her bed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was apparently paying a lot of attention to so the props gross. this time. Well, you see a movie enough, you start going, well, I know what's happening in the foreground. Let's well, look at the periphery. I tend to be kind of a prop continuity obsessed person. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Since that's it's the theater thing. Yeah. part of your job. Do we have any more sense? I, I could go off forever, so I'm I just done. <laughs> want to say in general, Coraline's a more multi-layered film. Like I didn't, I don't really note it in Nightmare. I very much noticed the soundtrack because it is a musical. The soundtrack yeah. is what's in front most of the time. Mm-hmm. Coraline, ninety percent of the time, the soundtrack is the background, yes. tricking your emotions into what mm-hmm. you should be feeling in this. That's scene, correct. Which is 
harder for me to notice. I have to be sit down and specifically say, okay, what's going on with the sound? Yeah, it doesn't leap out at you as but much. It, because it's, it's a subtler it film, there's me. more yeah, there's more layers to what's going on. The The music is not intended to be in the forefront most of the time. It's just, there's a lot more going on in the film. I love Nightmare, but it, it's very much like what's in front is what you're supposed to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. There's very few places where it's like, also, maybe something's wrong in the background. No, it's wrong in the foreground. It's, just, it's wrong in every <laughs> every yeah, dimension. Right. It's just the wrong. scary thing is what's going on right here, not the implication of what might be happening. I just think Nightmare should be an annual watch along with your Rankin Bass and your Charlie Brown stuff well, every Christmas. Nightmare it can almost be a biannual watch because it's the only movie I know of that's that's perfectly appropriate for two holidays. Yeah, <laughs> yes. there's there's no. Can I skip the Rankin Bass and just watch Scrooged instead? You may. Okay. Follow, follow your bliss. Okay. Follow Be your bliss. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Or watch the episode of Eureka where they turn into Rankin-Bass characters at one point. Or watch the Christmas episode of the animated series. Perfect. <laughs> so Anything Coraline did do... Ultimately, I got out of it what I was hoping in that Coraline gave me a greater appreciation for Nightmare. Hmm. So where would you say Nightmare falls now on your scale of I hate it to it's part of me? I would like watch it again. <laughs> it's improved, but uh, how much? I, wow, that's a massive scale. Um, am I going to go out and buy it? No. If somebody said, hey, you want to come over and watch this? Maybe. I was listening to another podcast today, and the question that was posed was, okay, you're on a desert island. You have the entire run of Blossom, and you have <laughs> Looper. Which one do you pick? <laughs> wow. Oh, I blossom is. And it's just sort of like, she well. so cool. <laughs> Showing my age now. I just like that all these desert islands, the implication is you have a TV and a DVD player and a source of electricity. Because that would seem to. I take like, a replicator. That's just. <laughs> again, source of electricity. And apparently, the only access you have to a DVD in all those is the shittiest yeah. DVDs. Right. Well, I I, God. I, I like to believe that every nice. single one of those choices ends worse. with you on a DV, on a deserted island with a complete run of Blossom and no way to watch it. <laughs> if you're going to punch me in the face oh, with a Blossom, damn it. I'll see your Blossom and say, give me all of Punky Brewster. Oh, I will grow up. You're still, okay? is there still like okay? one season? You're though, right? still just no, reading the boxes. Seasons. There's oh, no... It's a desert island. I, I, I would use the no fascinated to know that you know it's three seasons. That's kind of interesting. I love Punky Brewster. Punky's great. And that's our show. For today, Punky Brewster is great. We'll see you all next time. Actually, Brian, you should tell us what we're doing. Oh yeah, I guess it should. Um, We're gonna try something out for the next one. Um, Instead of going to another big pick, we're gonna do a short. We're gonna call it a nugget episode, where the two poop it out. Yeah, but um, where the two. I don't know if we have a specific length requirement, but the two materials that we're gonna compare. We can be put together in, say, 20 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. We may stretch that boundary if we keep doing nuggets. This next one's definitely 20 minutes or less. Is it? I don't know how long it is. But, yeah, it's shorter materials. It's not two feature lengths. Just a little thing to try out and compare. And what we'll be comparing, uh, we're going to compare Too Many Cooks, the thing which ruined lives and destroyed people's minds on the internet. What, two months ago? Yeah, yep. right yeah. before Christmas. Yeah. Which in internet time is like the 20 years since Nightmare. Um, well, that's what I said to you. It's just like, if you want to do too many yeah. cooks, by the know. time we eventually get I around... I feel like it's sure. been long enough now we can take a nostalgic look back at too many cooks. <laughs> I'd like to point out that it's been more than 20 years since Nightmare. Yeah, 21 plus years, however long. It, it feels like it came drink. out about Christmas. Anyway, um, so we'll be comparing that with something that 
it reminded me of um, Rejected by Don Hertzfeld, which is a uh, animated film. <laughs> I don't know. It's not long enough to be a film, but an animated piece. It, it, it's film, but written in French. Yeah. Film. Mm-hmm. Um, by Oscar, I believe Oscar winner Don Hertzfeld. Uh, from the early 2000s. I don't remember the exact release date. I'll have it in time for the nugget, which we're going to record in about 20 minutes. Um, yeah, but comparing those two, they have they have similarities. We're on a podcast? Um, they have similarities we'll go into in the nugget itself, and I want to see how everybody reacts to that. At least you two. I'm excited. Possibly Phil and Tess if they feel like they want to sit through too many cooks again. I will never watch too many So we won't again. have Tess. No. <laughs> We'll see if we have an... Bash my head against a wall. We'll see if we have a fourth person, but you'll have your three core people at the minimum. Listen! Haha! My core is going to get a workout. Gross. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Tess Keen, for joining us. Thank yes. you, Tess. Thank you for Where can people find page. you if they want to know more about you? Uh, you can definitely find me on Facebook, like the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Or I do have a Twitter. Yes, Twitter. So you're basically saying, hey, go stalk me on Facebook. Go stalk me on Facebook. Oh, no, I've had an actual Facebook stalker. That's creepy. Yeah, you might not. Mm-hmm. Not good. Although they could find you on Twitter. I mean, They can't find me on Completely Twitter. public there. Yes, and that's simply at Tess right. Keen. It's very exciting. And you can stalk her Facebook stalker at... Uh, the creepy guy in college, I don't remember his name other than he was creepy. I will bet money there's a Facebook page for the creepy the guy. The creepy from guy from college. college. Now yeah. I'm gonna have to look that up. Look him up at chodenutsmcgee.com. <laughs> uh also chodenutsmcgee. Yeah. Wow, I've been following him for years. Uh oh our God, theme he's song. my cousin. He's coming over. He has a great Instagram. <laughs> our uh, our theme song was performed by Miss Anna Weggle Reed. Uh, we have not yet determined whether or not you can still find her at Annawiggle.com or if she's she get on that. If she has updated that. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, please podcast, 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 get over sickness. Uh, please tell your friends about it. Uh, about Double Bill, you can find us on iTunes or at uh, Noise Picnic. And yes, noisepicnic.com. Please do us also a favor, and if you enjoyed this one and you're interested in listening to others, you can listen to other podcasts such as uh, Totes Recall, which is uh, available on the Noise Picnic Network. Also, uh, the Regret Labs podcast. Uh, Next at Bat is also on the Noise Picnic po- pic- uh, Noise Picnic yes. podcast network. So is uh, a couple. Of, God, there's there's so many now. There's like a lot. There's, there's a yeah, lot. There's, twi- there's Twin City Song <laughs> Story, yeah, which is March Twins podcast. Like Hydra heads. Yeah, it's just like they. Keep Keep coming. They keep coming. These are primarily uh, Twin Cities podcasts, but they're all fascinating and uh, done by some extraordinarily interesting and very funny people. Yeah, so, I don't think they have any international or national podcasts. Well, we would like that. Uh, Bienvenido or something. Um, yeah, what was that? I don't know. Sounds like you're trying to say uh, podcast.com. <laughs> Gwenvenudo. Uh, but thank you very much. Listen to our nugget. It's enjoyable. And then we'll have uh, more of the next double bill coming up after that. This is Mikey Postel. Josh Humphrey. Brian Watson-Jones. Special guest star, Tess Key. And that's been Double Bill. Double Bill, Double Bill. Comparing culture, it's Double Bill. Putting two things together, it's Double Bill. It's Double Bill. Theme song! Theme song! Theme song! And apparently jazz hands.